Good morning, Grace. So I'm back again with another quizzing update for you guys. Uh, this time for our junior quizzer, Joseph, if you could come up. As you've probably heard announced in the previous weeks, Grace Church hosted this month's tournament. And I'd like to thank all of you who came to support Joseph and those that helped with setup and takedown as well as provided assistance during the day. It's a big undertaking to host a tournament and uh, your efforts are very much appreciated. Now on to the results. Joseph did incredibly well. His team placed first overall. Uh, Joseph uh, was the first highest scoring individual of the entire tournament as well. So Joseph has had an incredible year of growth and we are just looking forward to all that he's going to continue to accomplish through state finals and nationals uh, and beyond quizzing as well. So thank you again so much church for your continued support of our quizzers. Praise the Lord. Let's give a hand clap of praise to the Lord this morning. Let's give that hand clap of praise enthusiastically this morning. There we go. We serve a great God. I think he deserves all that we can give him. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate you joining us here at Grace Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you if you're joining us on live stream. Uh, a little bit later in the service when we begin our, our praise set, you're going to see a young, intelligent man being baptized on that monitor. We want to give God praise for that when we see it. There are a few prayer requests that we have this morning before we move on. Please remember Brother Eddie Love's aunt, Mr. Patsy Wilkins, who is ill this morning. And Brother Ted Stevens has an infant son named Graham Stevens, who has an undiagnosed illness and who is asking for prayer for his young child. And please remember Sister Sheila Landry, who is also ill this morning. We, we have a God that can heal, and we want to bring these names to him in faith. Please remember on Tuesday, May 24th, this upcoming Tuesday morning, there is prayer in this sanctuary at 10 a.m. Please attend if you're able. Saturday, May 28th, we'll have men's prayer in the A Center at 9 a.m. Also, please attend if you're able. And it is time, again, for youth camps, another month. That's right. Is that the parents? No, it's not the parents. Okay. Please remember that pre-registration for all youth camps are in June. It is now open on the Louisiana District UBC website. There are limited spaces available, so please avail yourself of that as quickly as possible. Do you love the Lord this morning? That is the easiest question to answer. Can we stand this morning and lift our voices to the Lord in praise?
sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Lamb is overcome. You 
exalt the Lord all over the house today. Everybody, would you lift your voice? Everybody lift your voice to the Lord today. His presence is in the building right now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank the Lord, thank the Lord. You may return to your seats. Remain standing, please. To return to your seats. What a wonderful, wonderful presence of the Lord is in the house today so thankful for what I feel and what I see manifest here today as a result of the presence of the Lord being here. Along with Courtney today, I would like to certainly send a shout out of thanks to our JV team who is our probably 95% of our youth group here today uh, that helped us out with the quizzing tournament yesterday. Thank you so much for being here all day. Thank you so much for that. And I would like to share a quick story about Joseph and his team yesterday. Um, I was here for a little while yesterday morning and only to walk in as uh, Joseph and his uh, teammate had lost their, their uh, a quiz. I think they had won one or two and then lost one. And um, so I talked to a few people, went back to my office. He was sitting in the office, very emotional. And I said, I said Joseph is going to be okay. He just vented. I know, Papa, but we've never lost to that team. There was no reason to lose to that team. And I've never gone home without a trophy. I've never gone home without And he just vented on and on. And I said, look, it ain't over. It ain't over. It's double elimination. You got, you're going to get one more shot. And I was not surprised when Sister Murph told me that they won the rest of their quizzes, came out of the loser's bracket, won all of their quizzes, beat the winning team twice so they could be the champion and then they ended up being the top quizzer of the tournament I'm proud of him for doing that but I'm saying here today and my point is I wish we adults could do that you know the devil whipped me today but I'm fed up with it and I don't I'm not used to losing to the devil and amen it's a, a great message great great message in that and um I do want to announce to Grace Church, it might be, you might find it interesting and you may want to pay attention to the uh, screen uh, pre-service in the next few Sundays. There might be something on there that might interest some of you people. And you're going to say, what is it? And my answer to that is you will have to wait and see. So there you go. So you'll, you'll see uh, in the next couple of weeks. Are we proud of Tucker or what? Baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus. Yes, sir. Come up here, Tucker. I've got something for you, buddy. He made it very clear. Wanted to know, ask his mama. Mama, when they baptize people, do they drain the baptistry when they're done? And I'm like, excuse me? Or better yet, excuse you. What kind of church do you think we run around here? Yes, we drain the baptistry. But his concern, I didn't want to be baptized after somebody because I didn't want to get in the water with all of their sin and all of their best. That's priceless. That's priceless. This is one cool little dude right here, and his middle name should be Pistol because that really that describes Brother Tucker here, doesn't it? You glad you was baptized today? He's been waiting for this. He's been talking about it at home, Tanya said. 
been excited about it and we're excited with him. I love that just huge roar. You didn't get to hear that, but if you watch live stream later, you might could hear it. When you were baptized, all these people just went, woo, for Tucker. How about that? Awesome. So we've got your certificate, buddy, that says you were baptized today on May the 22nd. So if you take that to your mama, she'll keep it, and you'll always remember when you was baptized. Bill, God bless you, buddy. Proud of you. Let's give him some appreciation. I love it, love it, love it when our kids are baptized. That's the time to do it. When they get to be adults, they're a little more cantankerous about things and just better do it when they're a kid. And if you don't become like that, you won't enter into the kingdom either. Everybody say amen. Great to see everybody here today. Thank you so much for coming. Our guest here today, please feel welcome. We, we want you to. We hope you do. And uh, those of you joining us on Facebook Live, live stream, we're so glad to have you a part of this as well. And uh, I'm coming to you today with a very heavy, heavy spirit. <clears throat> God spoke to me earlier in the week, and uh, I shared this with Brother Ben and Brother Dave to a little bit, that what do you do when you give God, a, God gives you a message to preach, and you're not sure if people's going to hear it or not. Brother Ben said you preach it anyway. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. I read this verse in my description. I'm not being evangelistic and I'm not trying to be preacher-ish here today. I'm telling you a reality. When I read this verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, God pierced my heart. And you'll understand in a few moments why. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. If everybody will pay attention to the screen or the Bible, it's in your hands. <clears throat> After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. That would be in addition to his 12 disciples. He got another 70 people and sent them two and two. I assume that's two groups of 35. Or, yeah, uh, 35 groups of two before his face into a city and place. A city and place. Whether he himself would come. I want to preach to you for a little while today that we cannot hide from God. We cannot hide from God. But can God hide from us? On at least six occasions in the King James Version, it refers to people that have eyes that do not see and they have ears that do not hear. Sadly, there are people here today or has family that fall into that place. I'm hoping that today you will see and you will hear what God is saying to you. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you. God bless you. And you may be seated. Donnie, Kathy, Blake Williams, Melanie, if y'all will be very prayerful during this presentation, I'd appreciate it. God established a huge precedent in the very beginning of time. 
the first, the very first person that God created tried to hide from God, but God made it very clear in the Garden of Eden that day that you can't hide from me. Adam and Eve tried, but to no avail. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 5, that thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into hell, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me, even when a person is running from God and trying to hide. He said, I will still lead you, and my hand will still hold you. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Jonah tried to run from God, as we all know, but that didn't work either. You all know the story. But my question here today is, I think we all know that we can't hide from God, but my question here today is, can God hide from us? Job, who is it's very well accepted and believed that he lived in the very beginning around the time of Adam, Job said at the very beginning that, yes, God can hide from us. In Job 23, verse 8, Job said, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Yes, God can hide. And I believe there are people here today and there are people that has family here today. People that attend this church has family that God is hiding from. You say, why? I'm coming to that. So as you can see from Job's story, listen to pastor. Everybody, please listen. When God hides, things usually aren't going very good. Things go south really quick. If you don't understand that or believe that, ask Job what it's like in your life when God hides. Solomon put it into words in Proverbs 1, through 29. Follow on the screen, please. How long, you simple ones, he said. Let me tell you who simple people are. People who love simplicity, he said. Let me tell you who these people are. They are silly and seducible. They are easily seduced by the world and sin. They 
They find pleasure in being seduced. They, they're born and raised right. They know the truth. But they find it somewhat of a fantasy, if you will. A fantasy come to reality. When the devil or sin seduces them into some lifestyle or sets them on some path and they freely walk it. They freely go that path. So how long will you simple ones love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you and will make known my words unto you. I want everybody to hear that. I'm coming to this in just a moment. He said, turn at my reproof. I will pour out my spirit unto you and will make known my words unto you. And because I have called, and you refused, and I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but you set, you have set naught at all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call on me, notice. But I will not answer, and they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. The first time I read that scripture that I remember, I was about 12 or 13 years old, and it devastated me that God could do that. That God would do that. And it, it shook me up so bad I was praying with my first cousin who he was in the altar crying, pouring his heart out to God. And he, he was rebelling against all kinds of things. And I quoted that verse to him. It, it, I was so passionate. It wasn't appropriate. I was being way overzealous. But it just, it, 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 the impact of it that, that we can choose to know the word of God, to know the works of God but enjoy more the seduction of sinful things and then God would hide from us and literally mock us when our fear comes. When he talked about people uh, being simple and, and this simplicity of lifestyle, it's ignoring wisdom is what it means. It's ignoring wisdom. It's ignoring all wisdom from everybody that that. God and that God that has all wisdom and, and, and humanity around you that has wisdom that says don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and you do it anyway. That's what the scriptures imply. I'm going to ignore everything and do exactly what I want to do. I'm going to ask everybody here today to follow along closely as I travel through this message. In Luke chapter 6... The 12 disciples have been called to follow Jesus. And in Luke chapter 9, three chapters later, Jesus sends them out with authority and power to cast out devils and to heal diseases. That is, signs and wonders for all the people who see it and all the people who experience it, of course. He did this. You read later in the Bible, he did this because he's coming to those people later. 
And he wants them to have some level of acquaintance with his spirit, with his purpose, with his power. He wants them to know that when I show up in their town, I want those people to know who's here and why I've come. I've come to love them. I've come to heal them. I preached that a couple of Sundays ago. I've come to save them, to rescue them, etc. So it is literally Jesus sending out his 12 disciples to prepare the way for Jesus himself to come to those people. I want you to notice that between Luke chapter 6, where all of his disciples are called and sent out on this missionary journey, if you will, through Luke chapter 9, what happens? You notice those three chapters, 6, 7, 8, and 9, actually 6, 7, and 8. During that time that he has sent out the 12 disciples, they've come back, they're rejoicing with this power they have. You know the story, most of you do. During that time, Jesus preaches, teaches the Sermon on the Mount. To apply this to us, we've heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons and Bible studies. After that, according to Luke, he heals the centurion's servant. All the people saw that miracle. Y'all follow me here today. It's not a time to drift off to next week yet. Follow, stay with me. All the people around them that day saw the miracle. So not only did Jesus give his disciples to go to their house and their city and perform miracles, but now a lot of these people have come back to where Jesus is and he's healed again. So we've seen many, many miracles much like they have. And then after that, according to Luke, he raises the widow of Nain's son from the dead. Who can argue with that? This person is dead. They're in a casket on the way to the cemetery. And Jesus raises him from the dead. We also, we may not have seen it in our personal life, but it has certainly been advertised, and I have personally heard the testimony of both of these people. But Lee Stone King died of a massive heart attack in an airport in Australia and was dead. And God raised him from the dead and he's still alive. Jeff Arnold dropped dead, documented dead, flatlined. The little monitor is whistling, boop, and God raised him from the dead. We've all heard that. We know it's true. We may not have seen it, but we know it's true. And besides... Brother Bruce Howell, our foreign missions director, could come here and tell you hundreds of stories that happened overseas, show you pictures, documentation of people that has been raised from the dead that's been dead for days. So this has happened in our generation. Miracle signs, wonders, people being raised from the dead. Then Jesus establishes the ministry of John the Baptist to these Jewish people who are still set in their ways when it comes to the law of Moses, which they didn't like the law of Moses that much either, but they didn't accept John the Baptist either. So I want to tell us today that apostolic ministry has more than been established in our lifetime over the years since the early 1900s with Elder G.T. Haywood and then Brother James Kilgore's dad moving up to more current times with Brother Tenney and Brother Barnes and on and on the list goes. Apostolic ministry has been established. Y'all on board with me so far? 
And then as I preached a couple of Sundays ago, Jesus even allowed a sinner woman to wash his feet. There's been a lot of sinner people that God has used to be in a tremendous, outstanding, glorious blessing to himself, to the church, to God's people, to the ministry in our generation right here. And then the Bible said in Luke chapter 8 verse 1, after all of this, then he went to every city. Everybody say every city. He went to every city and village in Galilee preaching. He went to every city, every village preaching. And the 12 disciples were with him. Every eye had an opportunity to see him. And every ear had an opportunity to hear him. They all had an opportunity. After this, you follow along in the book of Luke. After he exposed to them his amazing power, whether they came to him or he went to them, they all had equal opportunity to see him, to hear him, and to believe him. Then he taught... The parable of the sower, teaching them that after the gospel has been preached to you, after the gospel has been presented to you, after the gospel has been put into your possession, you still have a 75% chance of not making it with everything you've seen, everything you've heard, and I've handed you this gift of salvation. You still have 75% chance you're not going to make it. After that, he calms the stormy sea. After that, he casts the devils out of the demoniac of Gadara. Not one, but thousands, a legion of them, the Bible said. It's interesting to me on a side note that where the people... Their eyes had a hard time seeing him and his, their ears had a hard time hearing him. These devils knew who he was. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to say nothing. And they began to plead with him. We know you're going to cast us out of this man. We know what's coming. But instead of just sending us to roam in the atmosphere somewhere, do you mind if we go into that herd of swine over there? This is Bible. The devils knew who he was. So they asked for mercy and kindness, and Jesus obliged. And then those pigs ran over the side of the cliff and killed themselves. The woman with the issue of blood was healed. Implication is that he can even heal emotional and mental sickness. He established who he was and what his power was. And capabilities were. He showed his power. Listen, he showed his pastor or showed his power over disease and nature and death and even demons. And everyone in that region saw and heard who he was. He did not leave doubt in anybody's mind about who he was. Y'all with me? So in Luke chapter 9, he, after all this, he sends out his disciples. 
Verse 1, and he called his 12 disciples together. Listen to the word of God. He gave them power and authority over all devils to cure, all, to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, neither bread, money, etc. Verse 5, verse 5, verse 5. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. You go one time, and if they don't receive you, don't go back. They departed, went through the towns, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. And again, people see this display of God's power. God healing, miracles, signs, and wonders. In the rest of Luke 9, he feeds the 5,000. Pretty amazing. Also, Peter receives a revelation of God in Christ. And so have we. And so have we. Then Jesus announces his crucifixion. And I... I took this in a way that I've never taken it before, and I'm going to come to this in a few minutes. <clears throat> he announces to them his crucifixion. He tells them, I must needs go to Jerusalem, be crucified, and I'll be raised from the dead on the third day. Is this just giving them the 911 or the, the 411 on what's going to happen in a few months, weeks, months, whatever it was? Or is he saying something else? <clears throat> you've had ears to hear, and you've had eyes to see. Are you going to be a part of the people who crucified me or not? That's the way I took it this time. I've never taken it that way before. So he's given them an opportunity to say, what's coming? And you have an opportunity to excuse yourself from it. As we know, none of his disciples followed him through that process. Peter followed from afar off. But they all fled. They all fled. But at least to our knowledge, none of them were in that mob screaming crucify him. So they opted out of participating with the mob in what was the cultural movement of that day. They opted not to participate in it. Please stay with me. So after he told them about his crucifixion, he took Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain and was transfigured in front of them. Uh, my only explanation of that, very simply, is Jesus kind of a, took away the flesh, and they got to see what was on, on the inside of them, and they didn't know what to do with that. Peter had already gotten one revelation, but now he just got another huge, another big chunk of revelation. And so have we. There's people here today, your understanding of God goes for, a lot further behind your initial revelation of, oh yeah, God was in Christ. It goes way deeper than that, way further than that, etc. Coming down from transfiguration, everybody hear me today. Jesus, to me, is now getting desperate because he knows what's coming. So coming down from transfiguration, every mom and dad sat up straight, both feet on the floor. A man comes to him and said, my child, is grievously vexed with a devil. I brought him to your disciples to cast him out, and they couldn't. I'm not sure the indictment is against the disciples as much as Jesus is telling people 
Everybody that has ears to hear and eyes to see, Jesus is telling people there that day that the devil has the ability to possess your child. He that has eyes to see and he that has ears to hear, let him see and hear. So finally we come to my text today. You still on board with me? Luke chapter 10 verse 1. After these things, after all this stuff has happened, something is still pounding in the heart of Jesus. There's a passion. There's a desire. There's a a love that's immeasurable here. He's still not contented that the people are getting it. He's just, (laughs) I've got to do something else. So after all this stuff that I just mentioned in the book of Luke, after all these miracle signs, wonders, all this stuff, after these things, the Lord appointed another 70 people. I don't believe they included the 12 disciples. There was another 70 people. And he sent them out two and two. 35 pairs of people. And he sent them out before his face. Or he sent them out before he goes on the same trip. He sends them out into every city. Every place in Galilee. The exact same places that he and himself, that he himself would come later. Now, the Bible just said when he sent out the 12 disciples, he sent them to certain cities and places. But now he's saying he sent them to every place. This is the verse that God spoke to me through. It pierced my heart. He sent out 70 people in pairs. I gather 35 pairs of people. Almost three times more than the 12 disciples. There's three times more than he sent out in chapter 9. He sends him to every city and place that he himself would come. It didn't mean that he sent them everywhere like he did the 12. He sent the 12 disciples everywhere. He sent the 70 just places. I, I think he sent them to places that he thought maybe would be the most receptive to it. To be most receptive to the gospel. That's just a guess. But he prepared those 70 disciples and he told them that you're going to meet some people that you know are going to have eyes to see and ears to hear that they're not going to get. And when you meet these people, shake the dust off of your shoes and don't ever go back to their house again. He knew he was coming later. So it wasn't important for them to go back. He's coming himself later. So he gave them very specific and very clear instructions. When you meet these people that are not interested, leave. You don't have to go back. Let your burden for them be lifted. Shake off the dust of their of the home, the town, your feet. Just, just move on. And in addition, Jesus says, by the way, it will be better for Sodom, the city of Sodom, and the day of judgment than it will be for those people. Everybody knows what Sodom represents. I hope you do. Because Sodom did not get to see the things which these people have seen. My question 
is were there people in Sodom that had eyes to see and ears to hear? But none of this was exposed to them. You read the story of Abraham. He just said, God, if I can find 50 righteous, he just went looking for righteous people and couldn't find them. Don't mean he hadn't engaged anybody. He didn't perform any miracles or do anything. God was a little merciful and sent some angels to Lot's house, but they did ignore that. But across the board, they didn't see the 5,000 fed. They didn't see somebody raised from the dead. They didn't see demons casted out. They didn't see miracles of all kinds. They didn't see none of that. So Jesus said it's going to be better for Sodom and judgment than it will be for these cities that didn't receive the gospel. So let's move forward now to the beginning of his crucifixion. The Jews have now turned against him. Let me explain who these people are. These are the religious people of that day. These are the people that knew all the prophecies concerning his coming. As we know the prophecies concerning the rapture and his second coming. We're kind of in the same bracket here. But they turned against him. The religious people. All these people who were born and raised. They were... 4th, 5th, 10th, 15th, 20th, 40th generation religious people. We boast today in a very kind and, and, and humble way, and rightfully so, that I'm 3rd generation Pentecostal, I'm 4th generation Pentecostal. These people were 3,000 plus years generation of Law of Moses people. They knew the prophecy of the coming Messiah by heart. They could quote it. So all these born and raised in the church people that knew the law of Moses and all the prophecies concerning him, they've turned against him. They've turned against Jesus and they've turned against all the things that he taught. I can see it in my mind. This is what pierced my heart earlier in the week when I was sitting on my front porch with tears streaming down my face. Parents sitting at the supper table turning their kids against this Jesus and all that stuff he teaches and preaches is foolishness and all the miracles it has to be some kind of a gimmick it got so bad that even Israel turned the whole nation of Rome against him so now he has to go we don't want him we despise what he teaches we don't agree with what he teaches why do they feel that after we, We've asked this question a thousand times. I'm going to give you the answer. Why do they feel this way? He only loved them. We've heard this preach for years. Why? Because they had eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear. The mob screamed, crucify him. Let me ask you a question today. Did it have to be all those individual people? You had people in that mob. This is Jewish people. This is Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, lawyers of that day, and their kids. But did these individual families have to be there when, when they were recruited by whoever to, come on, Pilate is going to weigh out crucifying Jesus. Let's go in support of his crucifixion. Y'all come on with us. Any of those families could have said, I'm not going to do that. I may not totally agree with everything, but I'm sure not going to go out there and start shouting all these obscenities and vulgarities and want him nailed to a cross for crying out loud. 
They had an option of not being there or not. My second question is, <laughs> did, did the 12 disciples visit their house in the weeks and months prior to that? Did, did somebody, did that, that pair of, one pair of that 35 people, did, were they ever at these people's houses trying to persuade them otherwise that you don't want to do this, you need to believe that he's the Messiah. You need to believe that he is the Christ. No, 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 we ain't going to do that. We need to get rid of this man. They didn't have to participate. Did Jesus himself ever visit their house and try to persuade them to believe in him? Was Jesus ever at their kitchen table? I'm talking about the people in this mob screaming crucify him. Was Jesus ever at their house prior to that event? The Bible said he went everywhere. He went to every city and every village. And I believe it's very likely that Jesus probably visited with every one of these people. Why did they want his voice silenced? Why was it? The answer is because they had eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear. The individuals that participated in all of that process had a choice to be there or not. Even the disciples had a choice to be there or not. I wonder if Judas Iscariot had not killed himself, would he have been there? Somebody was going to do it. We know that prophetically. Somebody was going to crucify Jesus. But it, did it have to be that group of people? I don't believe it did. I believe they had a choice. Let me have you look at it this way. Jesus was 33 and a half years old when he was crucified. Did you ever think about how young he was? Is there anybody here today in the early 30s? Nobody? One? Two, three, early 30s, thank you. Don't you think it's a little bit young for somebody to drag you outside of town and nail you to a cross? Especially when you're such a good person. Why couldn't they wait till Jesus was 50? Why couldn't they, why couldn't they wait till some 42 years later, which is about a length of a generation, most people believe? Why couldn't they wait till he was. 75 years old, and then crucify him. Had they waited that long, it's possible that this particular mob that the Bible talks about screaming crucify him might have even been too old to have gone to something like that and scream crucify. It could have been the next generation of people. Jesus would have been 75 years old, and he's old and kind of done with his ministry and ready for retirement anyway. Why did it have to be them then? It's because... That group of people had an opportunity to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had eyes, they had eyes, but they couldn't see, and they had ears, but they couldn't hear. It's phenomenal to me. It just occurred to me this morning, as a matter of fact, I can't get this out of my head, it's phenomenal to me, that the next generation, the next group of kids, the next group of young people, the kids of those parents that were screaming crucify him, it is very likely and very possible 
They were the next book of Acts generation that ended up preaching the gospel around the world. They saw the fallacy of the choice their parents made, and they refused to repeat it. They refused to have eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear. I do believe today that we have moms and dads that are sitting here today that have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear. But it'll be your kids that'll build the next church. It'll be your kids that are on fire for God and getting out there and getting it done. You, you, you've, you've harbored too much stuff and you've had too much conversation in times past with your family around the dinner table and all of that. And Jesus has even been to your house on numerous occasions in different ways of manifestation. So here's my sermon today. Here's my message. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11 verse 25 because of what they did. He said, I would, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. God has blinded them. He's hiding from them. For the past 2,000 years he's done that. As a consequence to their decision, scream and crucify him and let his blood be on us and on our children. In 70 AD, Titus came in and wiped out the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. And not one stone would be left on top of another, Jesus said. Because they had eyes that couldn't see. God has allowed them to believe in the law of Moses to this day. But has blinded them concerning Jesus and his redemptive work of Calvary. And even large in part the apostolic message. There are Jewish people that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to go down that path. But as a nation as a whole, they're blinded. Why? Because they had eyes that couldn't see, ears that couldn't hear. So where they have never, they've never been able to hide from God as a nation. No, they haven't. They've never been able to hide from God. But God today is hiding from them. So let me ask some of you here today. When was the last time the manifest presence of God has been in your life? When's the last time the manifest presence of God has been in your family, in your marriage, in your children, in your finances? When was the last time you had a prayer meeting at your house with your family? Did God show up? If he did, how do you know? Was he there when you said your nighttime prayers with your kids before they went to bed? Did you feel his presence? How about the last time you were at church? Did you feel his presence? How about today? You felt his presence today when you were sick did he show up when you just went through the most challenging trial of your life was he there did you see him did you when your marriage went south was he there you feel him if not why maybe he's hiding and if he's hiding from you today why it's because you may have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear but listen it's about to get better watch the screen 
Luke chapter 24. After Jesus was crucified, after Jesus was crucified, the Bible said, and behold, two of them, two of his disciples, that seen and heard everything, two of his disciples that witnessed miracles, potentially even prayed for people and saw them healed, people that's witnessed all kinds of works of God, people that's witnessed all kinds of manifestations of God. These were disciples, people. They were disciples. They were disciples. Two of them that same day were going to a village named Emmaus. I can promise you, Jesus had already been there. from Jerusalem about three score furlongs and they talked together about all the things that had happened and it came to pass as they were talking to each other and trying to reason all this stuff out Jesus drew near I believe he kind of said to himself you know I've been hiding from these people for the past three days I want to walk beside them for a little while and hear what they're saying. I told you a little while ago, David said in that psalm, where the shall I flee from his presence? Even when you're running from me, he's leading you and he's holding you in his hand. So these men were talking and Jesus drew near, but look at verse 16. Their eyes were holden. There was something wrong with their eyes and they couldn't know him. They were blinded. They were blinded. And he said unto them, What manner of conversations are, are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, said unto him, Are, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? They didn't have a clue who he was. Are you only a stranger here that you've not known these things which come to pass these days? And Jesus said, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all of his people. See, they knew him. They had heard him. They had seen what he could do. The Bible said they did. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him and condemned him to die. And they crucified him. But we trusted. Besides all that, today's the third day. That should have caused a little bell to go off in their head because he said he would be resurrected on the third day. But they, he went on and on with them. And these two disciples even went on to say to Jesus, they're even two of the women. They've been running around telling everybody that he's resurrected from the dead. He's resurrected from the dead. He's sick of hearing it. It's not possible. I don't care what he said. He said he's resurrected. All these silly women are running around saying Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Finally, Jesus couldn't take it no more. And I feel like that's where he's at with some people here right now. He just, he's desperate. He can't take it no more. You haven't seen him in a long time.
because he's been hiding. In your time of hurt and disillusionment and despair and transgression and sin, he's been with you every step you've taken. But you couldn't see him. You haven't seen him. You haven't realized that. Not like this. And Jesus finally said, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He didn't even refer to what he's been doing. You couldn't even believe what the Old Testament said about me. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures about all these things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village. He had already been there. Bible said this time he would have gone further but they constrained him they constrained him they grabbed his arm and said you're not leaving this time in other words you've been here before and left but you're not leaving today you're going to abide with us and Jesus went to their house again had bread with them, ate with them. And as soon as their eyes was open, he vanished out of their sight. He said, okay, I'm good. You see me? You get it? You get the picture? Let me go minister to somebody else. He left and they were good with him. And they said, did not our hearts inside of us as he talked to us. Hearts burn. There's a fire on the inside I've never felt before. All the other times Jesus has talked and all the other times Jesus has ministered and even when he's been at our house before, I never felt him like that. I never saw him like that. I never comprehended him like that. You know what the difference was? It's because these people had just gone through the most God-awful situation, event that they've ever experienced in their life. And so have some of you. You have been through some of the most challenging, difficult, horrible times you've ever experienced. And I will agree with you that maybe God has been hiding. But today he's come through Pastor Murphy. He gave me this, Brother Billy. He gave it to me right here this morning. I've been able to sleep at night because of it. But he's come today and just walked beside you. Tell me what happened again. Tell me what happened in your life. Oh, they took Jesus away. So and so hurt me. So and so offended me. These horrible Jewish people, these people that knew the law, these people that, that knew God, that claimed they knew God, they're in the synagogue every Sunday there, and they go to the temple once a year, they do all this stuff. Keep talking, I'm listening. And then they took our Jesus out. The one we love so much, and they, they crucified him. It was bloody. It was God awful. Horrible crown of thorns and stripes on his back. Jesus says, Keep talking, keep talking. And all of a sudden, they have that moment. You're him. You're him. My God, you're not dead. You've not left me. You've not turned your back on me. not failed me. You're him. 
you sweet people here today. God has never left you. He never failed you. He's just been hiding for a while like he did with Job. Like he did with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But God spoke to you. If you'll open your eyes, if you'll open your ears, you'll see him today. He's been with you all along. He's just been hiding for a little while. But he's ready today, all of what you know, to make an appearance. He's ready for somebody to see him. have an opportunity he didn't let his disciples go back to their house he did and he's back today in his house because he knew you would be here please have eyes to see will he come back he vanished that day out of their sight Will he come back? I don't know. Will he come back like this? I don't know. Probably because he's merciful and he's kind. But why would you want to wait for another occasion? Hasn't your life over the past weeks, months, and even years been a living hell for people, for your life, for people around you? Haven't you just had enough of that horrible burden? Behold, I say unto you, I beckon you, come unto my presence. I beckon you today to open your eyes. I ask you to open your eyes today and you'll see me look past the event and the circumstance that has transpired in your life. Look past the past. And if you'll look into your present, you'll see my presence. I've never left you. And I have not forsaken you regardless of what you may think. I do not fail. I cannot fail. Because my promises are steadfast. When I make a promise, I keep it. I told them I would resurrect on the third day. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Hearken unto my voice. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm extending to you my hand. Would you reach out and take it and let me lead you to hope, to promise, to fulfillment, to a joy you've never known. I am the Lord, come unto me. Would you stand with me today? hasn't sent a disciple this time to you. He hasn't sent a preacher to you this time, not this time. 
this time he's come himself. And his presence is in the building. And now he would like for you to come to him. He's hid. He's been hiding for a while. But he's making himself known to somebody right now. It behooves you to come to the Lord. As they begin to sing softly, this shouldn't have to be drawn out more than about two seconds. Everybody that would just come around the front and pray. I'm asking everybody to come. If you don't want to come, just stay in your chair. But would you pray? You don't have to come up here with everybody else, but would you at least pray? Would you give him that much? Just talk to him for a few minutes. He wants to show himself to you. Come on, Grace Church. Everybody come. Everybody come to pray.
Yeah.